Welcome uh, to the fifth, like, like fifth class in the series. Uh, we got one more to go. Uh, this this one here is uh, Peter's journey. Should I go, or we can call it Peter's greatest success. Let's go ahead, and I'll lead us in a prayer, and then we'll get started with it. Father, we ask your blessings on us tonight that you will use this time to speak to us about Peter's journey and our journeys and the, the journey that we hope others will have to follow you. We thank you so much for your grace and for being patient with us as we try to learn how to follow you and, and to um, honor you throughout our lives and everything that we do. We thank you so much and want to praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Peter's journey, should I go? We're going to start off in Matthew 17, 24 through 27. I have a couple of, of uh, areas of scripture that I want to kind of use as kind of leading up to the main one uh, that we're going to be dealing with. Does anyone know what the main one's going to be? I was hoping someone would, so I can tell. Oh, Brenda does. Okay, you know. <laughs> She's always looking over my shoulder. Are you sure about that? No. <laughs> um, sometimes, sometimes I hope my titles kind of give a hint as to where it's going to kind of go, but maybe not so much this time. So let's look at uh, Matthew 17, 24 through 27. And this is, I'm, I'm going to have it up here in NIV. But if somebody has something different, because I like to sometimes hear it from a different version, just because it kind of brings up some things. There were some things last week, I think, that um, I don't know everybody's name, um, but he was sitting over here, and he had a bad leg. Jim, okay. <laughs> he, he mentioned some things that, that his version said, that I'm going, Oh, wow, that's kind of neat. I like that. You know, it's, it's kind of a different way of looking at it. So if we can, uh, if someone would like to volunteer to go ahead and read from their version, and if you also you can follow up here as well. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, Did your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? When Peter said, from strangers, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are exempt. However, however, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take that fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. Okay, so we have a situation here where... Someone comes up to his disciples. I don't know if they were all together, but we do know that Peter was there because he's going to be answering. Um, well, uh, there's, there's going to be Peter. Peter's the one that he's talking to, basically here for the for the tax. And he starts off saying, "Doesn't at least in my version? What, what was yours again? What 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 did your version say? Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? What did you say?" Yeah, mine's well, okay, that's right there, but uh, when Peter was asked, doesn't your teacher pay the tax? 
Did you ever say something pretty close to that? Okay. Um, so, I, I, does it seem strange the way he asked it, even? Kind of in a negative way, right? It's kind of like he's trying to find something that he can get Jesus on, that he's not willing to pay the, the tax for the, the temple tax here. And Peter replies, yes, he does. What, what do you think, what, why do you think Peter said yes? I can think of two reasons, possibly. Maybe you can come up with some others. He paid it the year before. <laughs> What's that? He paid it the year before. <laughs> Good. Actually, that, that is one of the reasons, that he has paid it before. Right. So, and, and Peter probably would have known that. Okay? Why else might be a reason that he would say that? Keep him from being reproached. Yeah, keep him from being and getting in trouble with, with the authorities, or at least in this case, the temple authorities. And so, yeah, he, he, he wanted to make Jesus look good, you know, in, in, in that way. So, Peter goes back to some house, and Jesus just starts off saying right away, Hey, you know, who, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of earth collect duties, duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? And Peter answers, from others. Yeah, most kings didn't tax their own um, kids. They taxed, of course, the people who couldn't afford the tax, probably, most likely. You know, and so Peter, Peter says from others, and then he says, then the children are exempt, but so that it may not cause offense. And offense is the key word here that I, that I want you to kind of get. Okay, I was trying to remember your name earlier. <laughs> so, Tim. <laughs> so, so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line, and the first fish that you catch is going to have a four drachma coin. And take that and give it to them to pay the tax for both Peter and Jesus. Now, this is interesting because one of the things that I kind of find out during all this uh, is that this is one of the only, if probably the only, miracle that Jesus did to try to keep from offending somebody. If you think about his miracles, how many times did he cause offense to people? Especially a certain group of people, right? The Pharisees, the scribes, the leaders uh, of the, the law and stuff like that. Um, so he, he performed this miracle to, he says, so they won't offend the, the tax collector, the people who are, who are in the temple and stuff. So it's kind of weird that he chose this as a way to, to not offend them. And this, is, this idea of offense here is going to be a kind of a key thing for later on. I'm hoping if I, if I make sense throughout all this, that, um, that sometimes we do things either to offend or not to offend. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I guess he didn't agree with that. Okay. 
<laughs> okay, go, go. <laughs> okay, so let, let's look at another time where there was a, a fence that was mentioned here. So this one is in a little bit longer, Matthew 15, 1 through 20. Matthew 15, 1 through 20. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Okay, so... Um, Again, someone comes to the disciples and says to them, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders that they don't wash their hands before they, they eat? Is there anything wrong with washing your hands? I mean, a lot of people had kids have kids in here. Did you always tell them to wash your hands? Okay. But what was the reason for it? What? Tradition. Got the fiddle on the roof. <laughs> In this case, it, it is a tradition, yeah. For us, you know, we, we've always had our kids uh, wash their hands because we know that there's uh, germs and stuff like that that we want to wash off. <laughs> maybe that's what they were thinking here. <laughs> maybe that's where that idea came from. I don't know, maybe. Okay, yeah. Uh, so it's interesting that you say to the disciples, why do you break the tradition of the elders and not wash your hands before you eat? So they even admit that it's not a scriptural thing, don't they? By it. They're, they're not trying to, to say you're not following scripture. You're just not following our traditions. Right? Okay, so Jesus then comes back at them with the scriptures. You're going to keep talking to me all night, I guess. <laughs> uh, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And he gives an example. 
evidently it was one that they were probably doing quite a bit, where they made, said, okay, this has been set aside for God. So I don't have to give it to my parents to help them if they're in need. Okay? And was that, what did Jesus say about that? How did he feel about that? It's not a trick question. <laughs> right. You're, you're, you're taking away the word of God. You know, when you're doing that, that's bad. Breaking traditions is not, and especially in this case, he'll mention why it's not. So he says, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. He's basically telling them, you're not following God, you're following man. In fact, on the next one, says that Isaiah was right about you, that the last thing I like, especially like, they worship me in vain, their teachings are merely human rules. So they were putting forth these human rules that they were putting on par with God's word. And Jesus is saying, that's not the way it should be. God's word is first, and uh, traditions, and I'm not saying traditions aren't, aren't, aren't good. I mean, we, we all have traditions, don't we? But, they shouldn't supersede God's word. They can be used to maybe encourage people for God's word, but they cannot be supersede, superseding God's word. Any other comments? Okay. He goes on to say that what goes into the mouth does not defile a person. But what defile a person is what comes out of their mouth. Can you think of some ways that happens? Words spoken. What's that? Words spoken. In what way? Not derogatory. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Any, any other ways? False prophecies. False prophecies. Okay. Jesus said, said that we'll be known by the way we love the people around us and when we speak in judgment or in unloving ways. In unloving ways. Yep. Okay. Okay. There's some obvious ones that I would thought everybody would have had by now. But yeah. Slander. Slander. That's a good one. You let you tell something about somebody that's not only untrue but it's hurtful, or sometimes maybe even telling something that's true that's still hurtful. What about lying? That that's probably one that happens a lot in the world. Um, that it it defiles the person. It hurts others. It goes on then to say, well, here first, this is the part that is, uh, I want to get to here, is about, whoops, not quite. Um, the disciples come to him, 
And they say, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? <laughs> I was going to say, do you think Jesus cares? Uh, evidently not. <laughs> but, but they did. Did you, you see here by that question indicates that they are concerned that Jesus is offending the Pharisees and why do you think they would be concerned about that? <coughs> Taking the weight of power. Okay, from their... From the, say to do it this way. That's what you better do. Okay, that's why they were offended, uh, taking away their power. Okay. I think also, uh, you got to remember, this is still relatively early in Jesus' ministry. Mm -hmm. And so, Jesus' disciples are still trying to figure out who's who in the zoo. <laughs> and so this is they grew up in this environment with the Pharisees right. being, you know, the the religious authorities. And now all of a sudden this rabbi that they're following is offending the Pharisees and I don't think they're quite sure what to think about that at this point. Exactly. Yes. The Pharisees cared a lot about their social rapport. Mm -hmm. and it, it damaged them. They cared about their status a lot, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. Others? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in Romans, so it talks about you know not offending people. Mm -hmm. Like you know, if you think something's unclean, and I know it's clean, but I don't care. If I eat that in front of you. You know, that, that, that would be offensive. Okay. And says, don't, don't be offensive. So there is a time to, to not be offensive. Right? Because okay. If brothers grieve by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. Yeah. And he's, Jesus is saying, you know what? I don't care about your condition of washing your hands. So it almost seems contradictory. I, I don't think it is. Um, because what we're, happen what we're having... In the situation with Romans, it's a situation where it's not wrong to do either. What's wrong is how you act towards your brother. Well, you pretty much told them straight to their face, I don't care about you. Well, in this case, though, they were superseding the law or, or, the, or scripture for their own traditions. And so he was trying to let them know about but that. But I mean, it's the same thing with eating unclean meat and for not eating what you think is unclean. Yeah. I mean, that's totally contradictory to the Bible. Just that it's clean. Mm -hmm. Everything's clean. Right. So it's contradictory. Yeah. So it's the same. I'm okay. just saying that it just seems like it's... Here in Romans, it's saying, don't do that. I think there is a difference. Okay. I, I'm going to say there is a difference myself. And maybe everybody might disagree. Okay. That's fine. Uh, but I, I think it's not, it's not a matter of... of the importance that Jesus placed on God's word that he was trying to emphasize here okay. with that. So, but, but I do agree that there's a time to, to be considerate of others and not be offensive. I personally think the word offense or whatever you might want to use. I don't think Jesus' end goal was to offend Pharisees so it's just to make them mad because he didn't like them. I don't care. Yeah, I don't think I so. Mean, either, but. 
he, he's challenged right there in the trench and through the traditions and pull the labor of God and sometimes just need a hard hit to break up your heart. And I, I think he loved them. He was trying to reach them mm -hmm. and, and they just need an emotional jolt. Mm -hmm. Whereas, so that's love, whereas the mother of the moment is like they were just being ready to love it. Right. And, and that, that would mean, I don't think we are to try to be offensive to people, but sometimes people might get offended just because from that. But, um, but he wrote right there, he said, well, the prophecies were right when they said, you're not going to. Yeah, that was pretty harsh, wasn't it? Yeah, it was pretty harsh. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, there is a definitely, clearly, there's a, a reason and a purpose for what he's doing, and there's another purpose or situation in Romans. You know, it just almost seems like it's the exact same case. The one is like, of course, it's Jesus, and of course, it's okay. Because <laughs> he's Jesus. But in Romans, you're right. You know, it says, hey, don't do that. Be nice. Yeah. Play nice. Okay. You know, don't kick Tim's crutches. Oh, or Brenda's. Okay. <laughs> Romans is talking about accept him whose faith is weak. You know, one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak. I mean, it's talking about somebody's faith. And so people out of their faith are making these decisions of how they can please God. Whereas I think it's a very different situation, you know, based on what the scripture he's quoting to these Pharisees, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their actions are not coming from a place of faith and trying to honor God. They're putting their traditions as their God, mm -hmm. and they're not actually having a relationship with God. And so I think Jesus is trying to intervene to get them to stop worshiping their traditions and to actually have a relationship with God. So I think that is a huge difference. And, and he is put, kind of hitting them on the head very hard in this case, um, probably because, as he talks about, the blind leading the blind, <laughs> that um, that um, you know he he was trying to show them that they've got their sight on the wrong place. You know, their, their, their sight was on what they do, and not what God wants. Kind of. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Get my train of thought here back. Um, Okay, I was trying to ask a question, and I don't know if I got it across very good. The disciples come to him and says, say, the Pharisees were offended by this. Why are the disciples concerned about the Pharisees being offended? The Pharisees could have them kicked out of the synagogue. Good point. Excellent point. Yeah. Anything else? The idea that comes to me is the class that Alan Thomas taught a while back about uh, Americans think about right and wrong, but in, in their culture, it's honor and shame. Mm. Interesting. And so there's only so much honor to go around. Mm -hmm. So basically what Jesus is doing is he's challenging them over and over, and Jesus always wins the honor game. And shames them, and so by shaming them, and saying uh, I'm the one who gets the honor, and God gets the honor, not mm -hmm. your traditions. Some of these guys, you know, they were I mean, they're fishermen, 
tax collectors and things like that. Uh -huh. And so, I mean, you got this holy, holy sect or the leadership of the, you know, world, whatever. Well, religious world is that religious that. world. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like, man, you offended these guys. <laughs> That is kind of where you went to, and I think you kind of mentioned the same thing too with the idea that they could be kicked out of the synagogue or they could be, um, I don't know if they had an excommunication type thing where, you know, they were totally kicked out of the religion. But those guys, the Pharisees and the scribes and all these guys, they were considered the top guys, right? And Peter and the disciples probably wanted Jesus to kind of make friends with them. I'm thinking maybe it was early point at least. To, to make friends with them so that, you know, they, he could get into that group and become the Messiah that they all expected to be. You know, one that was going to lead the nation of Israel, uh, be able to get the throne of David back up and kick the Romans out type thing. So they probably consider them as a source of power for that that they wanted to see maybe help Jesus. It's kind of what I'm thinking here with that, which then they they could be kicked out um, if if they offended him, offended the, the Pharisees. They could be kicked out totally out of the situation, and they might lose that that support. Does that make sense? I'm kind of just kind of guessing there with that, but based on some of the things I see here, Peter ends up saying, "Explain the parable to us." What do you think of his response? <laughs> I, 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 sometimes I think, well, a lot of times I think God has a sense of humor because He puts things in the, in the Bible that like this, where He says, "Are you so dull?" You know, what, what's He saying there? Yeah, you dumb. <laughs> Can, you can't figure this out. Uh, don't you see whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? So he gives them a biology lesson here at this point, which, of course, should be biology one. <laughs> because, um, you know, they've all had kids and stuff like that and, you know, lived a life where they've had eaten and then. Yeah, you know the rest of it. <laughs> so, um, he goes on to say, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. These defile them, for out of the heart comes the evil thoughts, murder. How do you murder with your mouth? Okay, thoughts, evil thoughts, murder. So those are the evil thoughts. There's the murder. I want to kill that guy. I want to... Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony. Remember I was asking you about all these things. Slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile the person. It might make them sick. But it does not defile them. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now we go into the meat of this. That, that was kind of a lead-up to some of the things that will be happening in this chapter. We're going to be looking at the whole chapter of Acts 10. 
I'm going to do it a little bit different. I'm not going to have someone read it at first and then go through it. We're going to do one section at a time and go through that section at a time. Okay? So I'll go ahead and do the reading on this one. But you can go ahead and look at your scriptures, and if there's anything that is a little different that might help a little bit, you can go ahead and mention that as part of uh, to help with this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa, or Joppa, maybe Joppa, to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. So, story goes here that uh, Cornelius, who, what is Cornelius, by the way? Centurion. Centurion. Does that mean he's Jewish? Not at all, is it? Because he's Roman. He's a Gentile. So we don't see that happen much where God speaks to the Gentiles through an angel, do we? That's kind of, this is kind of an unusual thing that's happening here. So he sees, he has a vision. He sees an angel of God. The, God, uh, the angel, um, uh, well, first he says, what is it? And he says, your prayers and gifts of the poor. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with another guy named Simon. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, and approached... Is this the right one? Is this following right? Okay, good. I just thought I missed out some. About noon on the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. So Peter's hungry. There's a meal being prepared. While it's being prepared, he goes into this trance and sees this vision. In the vision are um, animals. And are all these animals good animals for a good Jewish young guy to eat? Huh? <laughs> Especially, I think uh, I don't think they were supposed to eat reptiles, were they? I don't think that was a, considered a good thing to eat. Um, it's a says, it's, to eat reptiles? huh? Are we supposed to eat reptiles? <laughs> uh, I don't know, but some people think it tastes like chicken. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've heard about you know rattlesnakes. People eat rattlesnakes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. tastes like chicken. Um, well, I don't think I think we can now, but uh, I don't think there's any 
thing religiously that we you know we can't eat. But uh, the, there's a voice that tells them to get up and kill the creatures and then eat them. You know, guy, remember he's hungry. I don't know how hungry he is, but he's hungry, so he probably he might have been tempted to do that. And but his response is a good Jewish response, isn't it? Surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Sounds a little bit prideful there too, also. But but yeah, he he's probably followed the dietary laws to the max. You know, to, he's probably following them, and so he's not wanting to to break away from that. The voice spoke, spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. So this voice says not to call anything unclean that God has said is clean. How do you think Peter's feeling at this point? Confused. <laughs> Probably very confused. Yeah. I mean, uh, we don't know his age, but he's all of his life he's probably done what he was told to do as far as what to eat and everything, the dietary laws that the Jews had. And so for this voice to say, you can eat anything that I claim to be as unclean, that's a hard thing to swallow. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, what would you think if you were in that type of situation? You would kind of wonder, wouldn't you? Am I hearing that right? And and maybe have some doubts about it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I think I would. I'd be going, I mean, I'd be going, uh, you know, maybe Satan's trying to to, uh, confuse me here or something like that, you know, with that. Because he's going directly opposed to what he's grown up with and what he's been taught all of his life. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. The men replied, We have... Did I miss something? Okay. Because sometimes it seems like there's something should be there. The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man. He was respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that you could hear what you had to, so he could hear what you had to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. So the voice tells them to go down, and there's three men that are looking for him, and it tells them, "Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate." <laughs> To go with these men. That's pretty strong, isn't it? You, you mean, I would be kind of hesitant in that situation, I would think. Um, I think most, any good 
Jew at that time would be very hesitant, but he says, don't hesitate, for I have sent them. And so he's trying to, God here is trying to make sure he realizes, I'm making these guys clean. The holy angel, this is from the man, it says, the holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so he could hear what you have to say. And then I think this is really interesting. Peter invites the man into the house to be his guest. What's that? Well, yeah, <laughs> he's a guest. He's inviting them. I'm a guest in the house, but I'm going to invite you into the house to be a guest as well. Um, but is there something strange about that? He said, go with them, not invite them in. That's true. I didn't think about that part. not reaching Cornelius because he's not there yet. Yeah. Good point. I I didn't think about that part. But also, was it... Jews and Greeks. Jews and Gentiles. Did not go into each other's house, right? Yeah. So that right there is a big step by Peter to invite him in with him. And uh, to be his guest. And with guests, what would you do with a guest in a house? You what? Of course, we always got to feed people. <laughs> that, that's, that's the number one thing. And that's something that doesn't happen with, between these two groups. So Peter's already beginning to, to see, I think. He's beginning to understand a little bit here. The next day, Peter started out with them. So they spent the night there as well. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Now, remember what, where Caesarea is and how we've heard Caesarea many times before? Okay. Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. So he brought a crowd in here. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with, with or visit a Gentile. We just talked about that some, didn't we? Um, to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask what you sent me? For, why you sent for me? Okay, so he takes along some of the believers. Why? I mean, the, the voice only told him to go, right? Why would he want to take some of the believers along? Are you just following the person that's a leader of sorts. Okay, so they're kind of followers. They're, they're following him around with him. Do no, we follow Eddie around? Uh, <laughs> you do? <laughs> I, I heard some voice over here. <laughs> I, <laughs> maybe both. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking moral support was probably a big thing. But it could be also just a curiosity of, oh, what's going to happen with all this? You know, yeah. It could be Peter asked him to go with him because uh, he wanted to pass on what God had passed on to him. 
the, with the uh, believers, though, right? With yes. Them. Okay. Are you? I don't know if you're quite saying what I'm thinking you're saying, but maybe. Are, are you talk, saying maybe he wanted them as deceived as witnesses? Well, so God came to Peter in a vision and said, uh, you know, essentially, I want you to go to this Gentile mm -hmm. and I want you to preach the gospel. Okay. I, I, I don't consider him unclean. At this point, Peter's the only person that knows that. Okay. And so if, I wonder if he didn't say, hey, you guys come with me because I want to pass this truth that God passed on to me to you in witness of what's happening with me. Okay, so they're, they're, that's kind of what I'm thinking uh, of saying, that they're, they're acting like witnesses to see what's going to happen and how how this is going to work out. And he, he probably wants some backing on it because he's doing something that is unusual to do. And having witnesses to support him later on might be of value. Any others? Okay. So uh, as Peter goes into the house, Cornelius meets him. And as we read earlier, he falls at Peter's feet. And Peter replies, no, not that one. Okay. Um, Peter replies, uh, stand up, I'm only a man. Why do you think Cornelius felt the need to fall at his feet? It's in reference. I mean, he's a Jewish disciple of Jesus. I mean, mm -hmm. Can't get too much closer. The, the, the reverence is, is a very strong word here. Um, you're, you're, does anybody have something else that says something different than reverence? Well, reverence can be revered. Right. Which is different than worship. I think he's meaning revering him. Okay. Um, not worshiping him, but showing him respect and honor like he would a lot of people that have been honored by God. My version says worship. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of. Uh, there, there are some versions that say worship. Brenda's looking up the Greek right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know from that face that's what she's doing. <laughs> yes. I think that. Or, or I guess what I want to say is he had this vision. Mm -hmm. This whole vision. It's all coming to fruition. Okay. Yeah. It's overwhelming emotion. Okay. And, you know. So there may be a little bit of uncertainty about it because he just, just had a vision. And that vision told him to send, bring this guy here. And he doesn't know. Maybe, maybe he's somebody that he, maybe he's another angel. You know, maybe, maybe he's, he's God's servant. He's God's servant. He's trying to be God's servant and do it. God's asking him to do it. It's all coming together. And your heart goes into it. Yeah. Your spirit goes into it. And, so. I know. I probably would too, I'm thinking, because I don't know what to expect. And, and I may be fearful. Because this guy, an angel, told me to bring this guy here. And so, but Peter puts his mind at ease by saying, I'm only a man myself. You know, he's trying to let him know, I'm not the one that you revere or worship for it. Brenda, did you find anything on it? It says worship. Okay. 
Okay. Then uh, he goes inside and he sees a large group of people and he says, you know that I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> that it's against the, my religious law to, to be with you guys, to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has said that I'm not to call anyone impure or unclean. He's getting the message, isn't he? He's understanding here. He's, he's going, I'm going to go no matter what. And then he says, may I ask what you sent me for? Or what you sent for, why, why you sent for me? Cornelius answers, tells him basically, three days ago, I was in the house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard you your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to, to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judah, beginning in Galilee after the baptism John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good, in healing all who are under the power of the devil, because God is with him. Okay. Um, Cornelius tells him, I'm here to hear what, you, what God has commanded you to tell me. Peter says, I now realize that God does not show favoritism, but wants everybody to follow him. I like this part here. Remember, this is in Caesarea. Did Jesus ever visit Caesarea? Yeah. We, we saw that earlier in some of the lessons. And he, he visited Caesarea. So, it's quite possible, and I think Peter backs it up here when he says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel. You know. He already knows some of this. He's indicating that Cornelius should at least already know some of this. And he also says, you know what has happened throughout the providence of Judah. I mean, a Roman centurion, somebody who's in charge of other Romans, is going to know what's happening in the country. So he knows about Jesus. He may not know everything about Jesus. But he knows some things about Jesus. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on the cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, 
that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter was astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard, speaking, heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So, um, he says that they are the witnesses. They wasn't seen by everybody, but they are ones that saw him. And they were chosen in advance uh, to see him. And all the prophets are, are testifying that anyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then while they, he's speaking, the Holy Spirit comes on them. They start uh, having uh, miraculous uh, gifts uh, there that are showing that the Holy Spirit has landed on them. Peter says, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So then they asked Peter to stay with him for a few days. Okay. I like this part right there. Surely no one can stand in the way. Nobody can stand in the way of the Gentiles receiving Christ. So, we see here that Peter is called upon to go to a place where he's not usually allowed to go and not expected to go to give the message of Jesus. But he's told by God to go. And so I was thinking about, when I started doing this lesson, I was thinking about, well, actually, at the very first of all this, about how this might apply for today. So you remember I talked about, um, at one point, we were part of a group that went on a mission uh, group up to Bellingham, Washington, to start a campus ministry at the Western Washington campus. Well, while we were there, there was a guy named Wolf that I mentioned a little bit earlier. I mentioned him on, I think, maybe the first week about his changing his name and everything. And you see Wolf right here with part of the mission group. Does he look a little bit different than everybody else in the mission group? <laughs> well, that was a tame look there. When he was first met by a, a person on, uh, from the mission group uh, on the street in Lubbock, uh, Texas, right in front of Texas Tech University, he didn't have any shirt on at all. He had a beard down to here and hair down to there. <laughs> and he had tattoos. You can't see him because the shirt's on this time, but he had tattoos and everything. And he asked a question to this person on the street who was in our mission group. He said, how do you get to this lake where he had camped that night? That was clear across Lubbock. I don't know how many people have been to Lubbock here, maybe? You've been to Lubbock? Okay. Lubbock's pretty spread out, isn't it? 
know, it's, uh, so it was clear across the city, and uh, he, uh, the, the, the person tried to tell him how to get there, but that's really hard to do because he didn't know the thing. But in fact, he had said something about that he had come from Vermont and was headed to Florida and made a wrong turn. <laughs> so, I mean, giving directions to a person like that is probably not going to make much sense. So the guy said, I'll just take you out to the lake and drop you off at your, your camp. So he takes him out and they're, they're talking on the way and stuff and getting to know each other and stuff. He gets out there, drops him off, and, and Wolf points up to, to a place on a little hill, not many hills in Lubbock. But uh, points to the hill and says, that's where I'm camping out, right there. And it was during the rainy season in Lubbock, which lasts about two days. <laughs> so he, uh, he, uh, the guy leaves to go back. And on the way back, he's thinking, should I invite him home to, our, to my apartment? And he's part of what's called campus advance. I don't know if anybody has ever heard of that before. And so he, he's thinking, man, I, I should, maybe I should have invited him home. And so he goes to, to the, he decides, well, I know what, I'll ask Kenny. This is Kenny right here. He's this guy. And Ken, Kenny worked for TI, um, but he was part of the campus advance group, even though he didn't go, he wasn't going to, uh, to Texas Tech or Lubbock Christian. Um, but Kenny was the guy's roommate. And so he said, I'll ask Kenny. If Kenny says yes, that means I probably should bring him home. And Kenny is always there at lunchtime during in, at campus advance. He was not there. So the guy has to make a choice. Do I forget about that guy or do I go back and get him? So he decides, I'll go back and get him. So he goes back and gets him, which is another long drive all the way across Lubbock. And he, uh, he gets there, he sees the camp, and he's looking up at the camp and going, Wolf! Wolf! <laughs> all these people thought he was calling a dog or something. You know, but, um, so he, he uh, is looking around, and then you know, he's going, okay, he's gone, good. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to mess with it anymore. So he gets back, starts to get back in the car, and then there's this little ridge where the, the lake is, and he sees this red hat because the guy did have a red hat on, the wolf had a red hat at one point. He sees this red hat going along the top of the ridge, and eventually coming up, and it's wolf. So he goes then to wolf and says, you want to come to my, my home? And wolf is like, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, he's really shocked about this. So he says, sure. So we gather up his stuff and we, and he takes him home and um, meet, uh, meets Kenny and everything. And Wolf goes to many of our, our, our functions like that we had uh, when we had things, you know, song time and prayer times and Bible studies. He starts going to those. And he's studying with people and everything. And uh, he tells the guy who, who picked him up that he was 
an ex-cop. And that, uh, uh, that he, he was actually, he gave his age. He looked like he was 30 years old, but he was like 20. Because he said he had lived a whole lifetime. And so he, he comes to all these things, and, and he, you can just see him, he's radiating. I mean, he's, he's all excited and everything. And eventually he said, I want to be baptized. And so he's baptized. And he gets a job, and he gets an apartment right across from the apartment of the person that took him in. And he gets excited about the Bellingham mission, and he wants to go up there with us to help us set uh, up, get, get things started and everything. And so he, he, he goes up there with, with the group, and I think this is part of the group that went up. We're not in the picture because we went up on our honeymoon separately from everybody. But he, he goes up there, and after a few days when we get up there, we get this phone call from Lubbock, from the people who live in the same apartment area that, that the person who took him in was in, saying, the police just raided Wolf's apartment. Wolf didn't tell us. He was an escaped convict. <laughs> he was an ex-con, but <laughs> he was an escaped convict. And he decided to that that he didn't want to be a, a stain on the group. That that if you know the police eventually would catch up with him up there. And so he asked for the leader of our group, which is Preston, the guy that's over here on the left side, up the top, um, if, if Preston would take him out, uh, gather up his thing, and would take, it, take him out to the highway, and Wolf would start thumbing it, and was going to go down south into California. I guess he got his directions correct this time, because he did make it down there. We heard uh, the story afterwards of how that he shared with many people his testimony on the way down there. We tried to talk him into turning himself in, to go back to Vermont, turn himself in. Um, he said, no, I, I had a lot of trouble with a lot of people there, and I would be unable to defend myself now because I'm a Christian, and I could not strike them back like we could before. So um, we said, okay, it's your decision. And so he goes down. We, he eventually gets down to San Diego, goes to a Church of Christ down there, tells them the whole story and everything. They also tell him to, that it's probably best for him to turn himself back in. And he calls Vermont and says, I'm coming home. So they, they gave him a ticket to fly home. He goes back there. And that's where he changed his name from Wolf to Bill Snyder, which is a drill for it. And you know, I'm, I'm telling you this story because that he wasn't the person that that person who took him in would have normally wanted to talk to about Jesus. You know, we were there to talk to people who were students like us. But God decided that 
we need to talk to somebody else. And eventually we heard that he was also preaching someplace. Then we lost contact and we don't know from here on. But what were some of the similarities did you see in that story to the story of Peter and Cornelius? Normally talk to a Gentile, much less go in their house. Mm -hmm. Somebody they wouldn't associate with. Okay. So he was somebody that that person at least wouldn't associate with, and most of our group <laughs> wouldn't. Yeah. Peter initially objected to this whole process and the story uh, tried to finagle his way out of it, really to be right. and welcome. Okay. What were some of the concerns that the one who met Wolf might have about dealing with a person like Wolf? Does it say? Not safe. Afraid to take the risk, right? Yeah. I mean, how many of you guys, well, how many of any of us want to talk to a person who was escaped convict? <laughs> Probably, it'd be scary, wouldn't it? I mean, you might do it. That'd be great if you did. But it'd be scary, wouldn't it? Um, how does God want us to work with those who might be different with us? How, how does God want us to work with those who might be different than us? Have nothing to do with them. Right, not that the difference be the obstacle. Be compassionate for them. So, Peter just went to Cornelius, didn't he? How do you think the believers felt about it? Let's look at Acts 11, 1 through 18. All the days of their lives, they've been raised. This is our law. We don't associate with it. Mm-hmm. You're certainly not going to bring them into your house. So you shouldn't go into their house. Right. I mean, that was the law. And, yeah, I mean, this is a brand new revelation. Mm-hmm. Total change, 100%. So, they say here, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven, from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to where I was. 
I looked into it and saw four-footed animals on the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, and kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up into heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers, remember those guys that went with them? These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and said, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as, they had, as he had come, out, come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the gift, same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So we have here where they first are very critical, aren't they? They don't understand. They didn't get to see the vision that Peter saw. And so they're very critical of him, and they flat out accuse him of going into the house of uncircumcised and men and eating with them. How dare you? That was a bad thing to do as far as they concerned in their mind at that point. Then he tells the whole story and he replies again just like he did. I'm not going to go eat anything that's impure. And the Spirit then tells them to have no hesitation about going with them. Don't even think about not going. Basically. And then that he will bring a message that all the household will be saved. And so, if God gave them the same gift, I like this part, who was I to think any differently, basically? If God blessed them, now it says they're un, that they're clean, who am I to say anything different? And then when they heard all this, and I, I believe probably those six guys, probably helped to substantiate the whole thing. They had no more objections. They did more than that. I they praised God. Right. And I hope that I could have that spirit too. That right. when I was wrong, that I wouldn't be I would rejoice that I was wrong. Great. That's that's exactly what it should be, all right. When when we find out that God changes our mind on something we shouldn't be so stubborn that we keep trying to go with that. You know, we should be able to change. Because they thought that they were standing up for God's feet. Mm-hmm. They weren't. To them, it wasn't their opinion. That was what God taught. Exactly. And now they're rejoicing because they see that God is bringing the dead cause in. I think that's very adding. Now, where do you think the church would have been if 
if uh, they had won. Probably pretty close to the same place, since Peter says, who was I to think that I could stand in God? <laughs> so you think that basically he would find some other way? Possibly so. So I call this Peter's greatest success because he brings the gospel to the Gentiles, a group that would not have been expected to have that opportunity. He, he, despite the beliefs and prejudices of his own day, he overcame those. And then those who disagreed at, at first, they were able to overcome that. Despite his own reluctance, he did what God wanted him to do in this case. He's willing to stand up to those who criticized him for it because he knew that is what God wanted. He wasn't concerned about if he was going to offend anybody. He just did what God had told him to do. Two weeks. Supposedly, Ted has got a person for next week, so I may not be ready for next week. So if you don't, if he doesn't have a person, <laughs> definitely a person. Okay. <laughs> so in two weeks, the final lesson will be for this. That lesson is called "Hard to Change." Got any ideas? Hmm. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the East Side Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.